Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... What? Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Blog Talk Radio. wrong with you. 
The bad news is I can't help you, which, of course, was not exactly what I wanted to hear. But then he went on to explain that the problem was through dieting, I had trained my body to expect periods of deprivation, then followed by periods of excess. So his advice to me was that I was going to have to give up dieting forever. And while dieting had never allowed me to stay thin, it had at least been the only thing I knew of that had allowed me to get thin, you know, have a, to have a taste of what living a normal life was like. And so I was I was pretty upset by his news. I, re, I remember walking down the street after the appointment, literally crying, feeling mm. completely lost. I didn't know what else I was supposed to do. But it made sense to me what he had said about my about me training my body for the periods of excess followed by the periods of deprivation, and that what I needed to do was find more of a middle ground that I could live with every day so it wasn't so up and down and back and forth. And so from that day forward, I made the decision that that was the new way I was going to live. Wow. Okay. Now, now in your book, I found the concept encapsulated in the following quote particularly compelling. So I'm going to actually, um, you know, share that quote with our listeners. And it's, well, let's talk here about what a benefit is for a minute. A benefit is something that offers the receiver something helpful or useful. I began to understand that my weight must actually be helpful to me in some way. After all, I kept putting it all back on even after I'd gone to great pains to get rid of it. So it must be doing something for me, although at this stage I had no idea what that possibly could be. I began to spend more and more time thinking about this, and now looking back, I can say that this single revelation was a turning point for me. So tell us about that. Well, that's a big topic. (laughs) Funny that you picked that right off the top. Um, Good observation. So one of the things, as I started to ponder this idea and started to really step back and try and observe myself in situations, um, both physical situations, well, conversations, you know, all that kind of thing, and one of the things I started to realize was that I had some fears. All of us have fears. I mean, I certainly was no exception in that way, but that I I had found myself using my weight as a coping mechanism or as an armor against a couple of the things that I feared. And so that's where the benefit comes in. The weight was, in fact, shielding me or armoring me. That was the benefit. So what was it shielding or armoring me from? Well, one of the big things in my life was definitely um, around fear of, of being abandoned. So although it sounds sort of counterintuitive, by being heavy, being overweight, being fat, whatever you want to call it, I felt, one of my beliefs that I held was that I I wasn't going to ever find a mate. So while I had a fear of abandonment, how do you avoid being abandoned? You avoid being abandoned by never actually, you know, connecting with someone. That's one way to avoid ever being abandoned. And so I realized that was playing a role into it for me as well. Another one of my fears I had was that I was never good enough. And so I could always, whenever things in my life didn't go the way I wanted them to, I had the weight to fall back on, that it was because I was fat that I didn't get asked out on that date, or because I was fat I didn't get the promotion, or because I was fat I didn't, you know, whatever didn't go right in my life, my weight became the, the scapegoat. And so I started to look around and I realized, you know what, that isn't true. There's other, there's, there's big people who have good jobs, there's big people who have good marriages, there's, you know, there's, there's big people living all kinds of lives. So I, I started to intellectually understand that what I was believing wasn't true. And again, it took a little time then to move from the intellectual into the emotional where I could actually um, own those thoughts and own those beliefs and start to, to interact very differently again. But it, it really was, um, that was a big revelation for me. And it's still, you know, it's funny, all these years later, if something doesn't go well for me, and not every time, but every once in a while, those old tapes will pop up again. It'll be 
because you're fat. Well, I'm not fat anymore, so that isn't it. <laughs> it's just the old pain. Wow. Okay. Now, another concept that I found uh, really compelling is encapsulated, and again, you know, share another quote from your book. Um, and your book is filled with, filled with great, um, great quotes. We're all going, only going to select a couple of them. But um, one is, in order to affect any permanent changes in our weight, we must deal with our beliefs about our bodies in order to positively change our autopilots and our programming. If you don't attend to this, anything else you do will be short-lived at best. You'll end up falling back into old habits and getting the same old results. So now it's time to form some new positive beliefs about your body. Now we're going to work on reprogramming how you think about your body. And I understand there's a whole process involved, but can you just share a bit of that with our listeners so they can have some kind of understanding of what you mean by reprogramming how you think about your body? Sure. Um, Well, one of the things, so our minds actually work quite a bit like a computer. They're far more exceptional than a computer is, but but since most people have some, some understanding of how a computer works, say you've been sent somebody emails you a PowerPoint presentation. Well, if you don't have the PowerPoint programming on your computer, you've never purchased that software, you don't have it, you can sit there clicking open, open, open on that email or that attachment all you want, but that PowerPoint presentation is never going to open because you don't have the programming on your computer in order to enable that. And so the same thing happens with our weight. If you don't have slim programming in your head, you can, it doesn't matter how much you want to be slim. It doesn't matter how much you work on it. If your basic programming isn't there to support that, you may achieve it on a short-term basis, much like I did through dieting, but your body will never stay that way because it's our programming, which in the human brain is, is known as the subconscious, that really directs and drives about 95% of what we do. So an example that a lot of people with weight issues, um, they quite often chuckle when I say this, but have you ever found yourself, for instance, you know, you're sitting in front of the TV, um, you know, everything's going fine, and then the next minute you actually are standing in the kitchen putting food into your face and you really have no recollection of getting up off the couch and walking to the kitchen or even making the decision to walk to the kitchen. That's because that programming, that, that, that instruction to go to the kitchen, find some food, is lodged Mm -hmm. down way deep in the subconscious, and it completely bypasses the conscious. The conscious is what we know, like, you know, move my arm, uh, drive the car, you know, that kind of thing. But the subconscious is the much deeper-held beliefs or programming, and it's going to win every single time. So in the case of for weight, what I had to do was change the programming I had in in my subconscious Some of the programming included things like, I don't deserve to be slim, I'll never be slim, it's too hard to be slim, I don't like the foods that you have to eat to be slim, Um, I I didn't like exercise, I believed that I hated exercise, I was never going to do it, it was hard. These were the kinds of programming, programming I had, and so I had to actively work on changing that programming. And by doing that, affirmations are a great, um, for me, affirmations were just an immense tool in my recovery. So somebody, an affirmation is a statement that you repeat over and over and over again to yourself so that eventually it just, through repetition, you literally wear a path down through your conscious into your subconscious and start to lay down some new tracks, some new, some new tracks is the best word, some new programming. And so some of the affirmations I would read over and over and over to myself, I had them posted everywhere in my house, were things like, I am worthy of living my life in an ideal body. I deserve to live my life in an ideal body. 
I enjoy healthy tasting foods. I enjoy exercise. Now, none of these things when I first started saying them were things that I honestly truly believed. They weren't. But as I repeated them over and over and over again to myself, I literally, I guess for the lack of a better term, I literally brainwashed myself into believing ideas that were going to be much more supportive for me, ideas that were going to get me to where I wanted to go rather than hinder me from it. Uh, so the affirmation, in terms of reprogramming how you think about your body, these affirmations seem to be instrumental. At least they, they were for you in terms of the whole reprogramming process. Definitely, so. definitely. Okay. Now, now you, you advise research, readers that if they're not getting the results they want, they must examine their paradigms and then change them in order to change their outcome. And interestingly, your book has several examples contrasting what you term the, you know, quote, overweight paradigm with the, quote, healthy, slim paradigm. So can you share with our listeners um, just two or three of them um, so they can understand um you know, concretely some of these examples? Sure. Um, I think probably a good place to start with that is, is let's actually look at what a, at what a paradigm is. Um, mm-hmm. And a paradigm really is a, a, learned, a learned group of habits. Every, every culture, every family, every office, every, everything has paradigms, un, unwritten rules basically about, about how life functions within that particular group or society or culture. So <clears throat> um, given that... Um, here, I'll just give you a couple of examples, actually, from the book. So an overweight, an overweight paradigm, a habit, a way of thinking, would be, it doesn't matter what I eat, I'll gain weight anyway. Where somebody who's healthy, you know, a healthier weight, their paradigm might be, I choose foods that are healthy knowing that what I eat does matter. Um, an overweight paradigm could be, ex- this is what, certainly one of mine, exercise is hard. I hate it and I don't want to do it. Uh, a healthy, slim paradigm could be something along the lines of exercise is good for my body and it makes me feel good. I love to exercise. An overweight paradigm could be a second helping is the norm, where for a slim person, their paradigm could be a single serving is the norm. Um, an overweight paradigm could be uh, along the lines of I eat everything on my plate, where a slim paradigm would be I eat to the point of satisfaction and then just stop. And then this is a real big one. Um, an overweight paradigm could be I'll make myself feel better by eating. And a a healthier paradigm could be, I'll make myself feel better by calling a friend. So really, they're just a paradigm is just a way of looking at and responding to a particular situation or, you know, conversation. Uh, It really is a a multitude of habits is is probably the best definition of a a paradigm. So if if your habit or your paradigm is to, you know, have a second serving with every meal, well, you can see when you step back and look at that, that's not the kind of behavior that's going to get you to where, you, you know, if, if shedding some weight is what you want to do. That's not a paradigm that's going to support where you want to be. And if you look at an important thing to do, actually, when you're recovering from an overeating disorder, is to actually pay some attention to how your, your, your ideal weighted friends, how they interact with food, how they behave around food. And you'll pretty quickly see that it's a very different way of interacting and relating with food than what than how overweight people do it. And so you really do. You need to start acting. In fact, you, you have to start acting how you want to be before you ever actually get to where you want to be because it's your, little, it's your habits every single day of your life that add up to, you know, what you are at the end of the day. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. I can completely understand how 
um, you know, especially with those really concrete examples, um, how your paradigms would, you know, determine your outcomes, determine your results. Yeah, I think that is global. You know, you mentioned that in your book as well as in terms of all, you know, all areas of life. So I definitely see how that applies, um, you know, to, um, you know, to weight. Um, now, you know, again, in, you know, in emphasizing that our paradigms determine our outcomes, your book explains to readers how to shift their paradigms. And, um, you know, I know this, again, is, is, um, is, can be quite involved, but um, can you, you know, briefly explain this to our listeners in terms of how one goes about shifting their paradigms. Again, for me, the way I did it, it came down to affirmations, um, affirmations and reminders. So things like, um, it's, it's been a while now, uh, things like, you know, my, definitely one of my paradigms was a second helping was the norm. Definitely that was one of mine. So I needed to put some reminders around the house that I was only going to be eating one serving. And so for me, notes taped to the fridge, um, you know, sometimes even notes inside the fridge. If there was a particularly tasty food in there, I would, I would literally tape a note to the food itself to remind myself of what I was wanting to, what, what I was working on accomplishing. Um, affirmations, again, are another way because paradigms really are very much rooted in your subconscious. So affirmations um, specific to the paradigms you're working on shifting, those can be very, very important too. So um, some of the ones I use that I, I list in the book, I would do, I, would, I always like to start an affirmation with, I am so happy and grateful now. Um, I think I started to say this before. An affirmation should always be done in the present tense, even if it's miles away from the truth. Um, so I'm happy and grateful now that I am eating smaller portions of food or I'm only having one plate of food or I am making healthy food choices or I am eating to fuel my body, not to deal with emotions or I'm eating like a slim person or I'm honoring my body by giving it what it needs and no more and then I finish it off with because I feel so good when I do. And again, when repeated often enough, and it, it, it's a very much a conscious decision you have to make that you're going to read these affirmations over and over and over again. But as you do, they start to get stored up in your subconscious, and it's your subconscious that's your autopilot. And a lot of the, not a lot, all of the paradigms that are stored up in your subconscious now or in your autopilot now, most of them you didn't actually form yourself because most of these are actually formed in our brains somewhere between the ages of zero and five or six, what they call the formative years. And in those years, you're not old enough, wise enough, or, or you know, conscious enough to really be able to accept or reject things that are being said and done and going on around you. So if your whole family maybe is overweight and their paradigm was always to have a second portion or to be eating unhealthy foods, you would have grown up in that environment and that would have just seemed to be what was normal to you. But then when you step, and that becomes part of your programming, but when you step back and look at it intellectually, you would say, you know what, the reason my whole family is overweight is because we constantly have second or third helpings of food and we don't make very healthy choices. You start to see the relationship between the behaviors and the results. And so by interjecting in those, and it's not easy, it definitely isn't easy, but it is so worthwhile and so much a part of what it takes to have a, a full recovery long term where you don't just get the weight off but you actually keep it off that I highly encourage everyone um, who's listening to Who's, who's got a weight issue or knows someone who does, is to really look into what affirmations can do for you. Affirmations. 
Okay, now in your book, and I know you alluded to this actually before, um, you know, but given given what we do, I'd love to um, I'd love to revisit this again. And then in your book, you share with listeners your revelation of how your being overweight served you with respect to, and I know we talked about this before in terms of the helpful and useful quote, but your being overweight served you with respect to one of your fears in the dating and relationship aspect of your life. Now, can you share a little bit more about this revelation with our listeners? Well, it's kind of what I said before. Like, I realized I came to understand that I had these issues of abandonment. And so... No, I don't think anybody likes to be abandoned, but if you've, if you've got certainly issues around it, you will do whatever it takes. And again, subconsciously, you're not even necessarily aware that you're doing it, but your 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 brain is directing you to do and say things that will avoid whatever it is that you fear. So for me, again, the fear of being abandoned led mm-hmm. me to either, in the dating world, um, choosing men who were completely inappropriate for me, because what better way, you know, to make sure that I wasn't going to get abandoned by being in a relationship that was so wrong for me that even I recognized that and I, you know, I would dump him before he would dump me kind of thing. Well, then I wasn't being abandoned. I was the I was the one severing the relationship. Or it led me to believe because a couple of my other paradigms had to deal with around worthiness. Like I didn't really believe I was worthy of being in a healthy relationship. And so again, what way what better way to avoid being you know, being abandoned than by never being attached to someone in the first place. You can't be abandoned if you're never attached. Mm-hmm. So my mm-hmm. subconscious worked very hard to keep me either, you know, out of a healthy relationship altogether or get, get me into a relationship that was just so bad. I mean, I recognized I needed to be out of it, you know, for my own sanity kind of thing. So I was rarely ever the abandoned one. I either did the abandoning myself or I um, just didn't get into something. So that served me my weight served me then in, in allowing me to not be abandoned am i am i being clear on that absolutely and you did allude to it before but because it might be something that resonates with um with a couple of our listeners or a couple of our listeners um people in their lives i thought it definitely worthy of um uh, you know emphasizing and and repeating again so it's um Appreciate that. And it also brings up, if, if I could just extrapolate on that for one second, it also brings up when you get into the whole relationship thing, the very first person you ever have, or not first person, but the most important person you have a relationship with in your entire life is a relationship you have with yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you don't love yourself, if, uh, I truly believe this, if you don't truly love yourself and like yourself, you're not going to be able to give, if you can't give that love to yourself, you're really not going to be able to give it to someone else nor are you going to recognize it if someone else is legitimately trying to give it to you. And so it, it, I really believe that in any area of life, really liking yourself, respecting yourself, and in fact loving yourself is a big part of then being able to like, respect, and love the rest of the world and be loved by it. So you have mm-hmm. to start there mm-hmm. first. And that, and that was another one of my paradigms, that I wasn't very lovable. So I had to work on that one, too. And interestingly, I now I'm very happily married. I've been with the, the man I'm married to now. We just celebrated our 11th anniversary. Oh, and, uh, congratulations. Thank you. Okay. And some of my okay. friends will sort of jokingly say, oh, you guys are, you know, one of those sort of sick couples. You know, you're, you, you actually seem to like each other, <laughs> enjoy each other's company <laughs> after all this time. And uh, a question I get often is, had I gotten all the weight off when I met my guy? And the truth of the matter is I, wa- I definitely wasn't at my heaviest, but I, I wasn't recovered by that point by any means. I, I still think I shed after I met him. I still think I had about another 65 or 70 pounds that I needed to get rid of to sort of really get down to a healthy weight. Um, Interesting. 
But I had by that point I was already on the path though. I had learned to like myself. I, I came to understand that what my the size I was carrying my body at wasn't really representative of who I was inside. That that's really just the house we live in. Our bodies are just the house we live in. And just the same way in, you know, not using the body as a metaphor, but a real house. I mean, you can live in a number of different types of houses, from a tiny little apartment to, you know, a mansion and everything in between. It doesn't mm-hmm. really change who you are, who your soul or who your spirit is. And so I'd already had that revelation and was well on my way to liking myself when I did finally meet the man who was to become my husband. And he loved me at at my bigger weight. He didn't have any problem with it, nor does he have any problem with it at, at my now, you know, fairly normal weight. So... That was another interesting thing for me that I don't even know I wrote about in the book because a lot of that sort of happened afterwards. But Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. You know, actually that brings to mind that I'd love to spend a couple minutes on um, – you had mentioned in terms of the people in in um, your life or just your generically, you know, anyone's life, and, um, you know, possible potential reactions um, to – um, one's releasing weight or, um, you know, or when their body is changing. So um, here you mentioned the example of, of your um, husband or possibly boyfriend at the time. What, um, you know, in terms of the book, I remember you said some interesting things about that. Um, can you share with the listeners one or two things about um, about what they may um, anticipate in terms of reactions um, from others when they sure. start to? Great. You would think, you would assume, and this is another incorrection or incorrect assumption, but you would assume that as you were, you know, shedding the weight and, and maybe feeling better about yourself and starting to interact in the world in a different way, that everybody would be standing on the sidelines cheering for you. But the truth is that that isn't necessarily true. And and the, here's the reason why: someone who is watching you accomplish something that maybe they have never been able to do themselves, there could be feelings of jealousy, feelings of envy. Um, just even feel maybe not even anything that outward, but also feelings that could lead to feelings of their own lack of worth. They might start thinking, well, what's wrong with me? She can do it. I can't do it. None of us lives in a bubble. None of us. And so whenever everything has a cause and effect, and your body shape changing is going to have an effect on the people around you. Now, for some of them, it's going to be a very positive effect. You may, in fact, be an inspiration. You may, um, you know, through your, your efforts, you may inspire them to, you know, make some changes for themselves. But for those people who aren't yet ready to do that, and it, it, very much you have to be ready, um, for those who aren't yet ready to do it, as they start to watch your success, that can bring up a bunch of negative stuff in them. And their paradigms, and it, it, remember, you're not the only one with paradigms, their paradigms may cause them to act in ways to try to try and thwart what's going on with you. Um, it's probably not conscious. I really do believe most of the people in all our lives are good people. They would never knowingly do something to try and, and derail you. But subconsciously, their subconscious can be driving them pretty firmly to try and keep everything the way it was, What you know, what we call the status quo. For instance, mm-hmm. here's a good example. If you belong to a group of people where eating is one of your one of your activities, maybe you meet every Friday night a bunch of girlfriends or something, you go out for dinner, and let's say you know maybe it's five or six of you, and all five or six of you are, are you know fairly healthy, big let's say big eaters. Well, suddenly if you're the one who's coming along and you're saying you know no thank you, I'm not going to have the appetizer and the dinner and the dessert, I'll just have the dinner. Well, mm-hmm. they might be feeling. Oh my God, she's an outsider now. She's she might be judging us. Like if you're the if you're the one who's sticking to your your plans, you know you could be viewed as an outsider, as a betrayer, um, as maybe somebody who's now going to frown down, a judger, you know, being judgmental, that kind of thing. 
And so your behavior does have an effect on the people around you, and they are going to respond to that, whether they respond to it consciously or subconsciously, but you need to be aware that you don't live in a bubble and your weight changes are going to have an effect on the people around you. And especially for those that that may not be a very positive effect, you need to be aware of that because I'm sure we've anybody, again, who's worked on their weight before, you've probably walked away from a situation maybe shaking your head where a friend seemed like they were oh so happy and oh so supportive of you for the weight that you'd let go of, and then you know you go out for dinner, but they're the ones pushing you to have the dessert. You've been so good, you deserve this. Well, mm. that's not really supporting you. If mm-hmm. they were really supporting you, they might have actually said, let's go to a movie instead or let's go to the park instead of let's go be around food. But then mm-hmm. to add the, you know, here, just have the dessert. You know, you deserve it. Or, or I made this cake just for you. You have to have a slice. You know, things like that. Those can be, yeah. you need to be aware of what I call saboteurs or sabotaging situations and know that they are out there and be prepared for when they arrive so that you can respond in a way, you can respond rather than react. And when you respond, you can make the choice that's best for you rather than reacting and just, you know, a knee-jerk reaction and eating whatever it is they put in front of you. Ah, thank you. Um, Very informative. And I appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us, Stacey. They've been, you know, very insightful and interesting. I'm wondering if there's any last thought or take-home message you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um. Like I said, the size of your body has nothing to do with who your soul and who your spirit and who you truly are is. It's just some bad habits, just, you know, and they can be changed. Now, I don't want to I don't want to mislead anybody. Changing them is not easy, but it is so worthwhile. And let me ask you, how easy is it living on a, a restricted calorie diet forever and ever? How easy is it, you know, avoiding social functions that you don't want to go to for fear of you know, overeating and falling off your diet. You know, how easy is it hiding yourself away or, or you know, not going to things because you don't want to eat the wrong foods or you don't want to be seen at a heavy weight or that kind of thing. So when I say changing your programming is, is hard, it is hard. But like anything worth worth doing in life, the things that are, the you know, a little bit hard that we work at and that take some time to accomplish are the things we're the most proud of afterwards and the things that are going to have the longest lasting impression on us. So I really encourage anybody who's listening, whether it's, you know, 20 pounds you can't seem to get rid of or 200 pounds, please, um, you know, take a look at my website, get a copy of the book and start to work on changing yourself internally because once you change the internal, the external all just starts to fall into place. It's almost miraculous, but it isn't. And in time, since you tell what is your website? Oh, thanks. It's whyareyouwaiting.com, but waiting is spelled W-E-I-G-H-T-I-N-G, so like wait. So whyareyouwaiting.com, um, and you can you can read all about sort of my philosophy, see some before and after pictures of me. You can buy the book there. Um, anybody who wants even more help, there's a, a home study coaching program that you can go through. There's all kinds of resources available on the site. Please take a look at the blog. Um, all kinds of resources available on the site to give you more of an idea of, of how to go about changing the inside so that the outside, everything just falls into place. Excellent. I'd like to thank Stacey Grieve for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. And right back and, at you. This has been a really good interview. <laughs> Excellent. And once again, if you'd like to share more about the insight Stacey's been sharing with us today, her book is entitled, Why Are You Waiting? Again, that's W. E-I-G-H-T-I-N-G. It's not the food that's making you fat. And, you know, in case you joined us late, I'd like to share the show with people in your life. 
I'd like to remind you that today's radio show will be archived and available as a podcast on Intersections Match's website, which is www.intersectionsmatch.com, and I can be reached at justbeenatintersectionsmatch.com. Appreciate your hanging out with us. Do email me with topics you'd like discussed in future shows, and make sure to join us for next month's show. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye, Jasmina. Thank you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.